This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the wonderful world of Remnant Radio. In this program, we're going to be talking about prophetic ministry on Sunday mornings in your local church, what it is, how to get it off the ground, best practices, uh, ways to get started, all that fun stuff and more in this program. You guys stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. Welcome, everyone, to another wonderful world of Remnant Radio. Another wonderful world, another wonderful episode of Remnant Radio. I've got Michael Miller, Michael Roundtree with us today talking about prophecy Lots of great stuff coming down the pike. We got a good program for you today. But before you uh, watch this program, what you really need to do is subscribe to the newsletter. Hit that like button. Hit the subscribe button. The newsletter can be found in the description of this video. You get updates on all the different stuff that's happening. We got conferences coming out. You get discount codes for conferences, Patreon, subscription, the cool stuff, trainings that we're doing on Patreon, all great stuff that's happening every month. Uh, but also, maybe the most important update you could get is that for the e-course. WSSM has had over... 130, I think like maybe it's 140 already students. We only have my marketing director messaged us and said we have 25 spots left. So if you want to be a part of WSSM this semester, you need to register ASAP uh, because we have uh, a very full uh, list already of students and uh, registration ends the 25th. So you only have four more days uh, and 25 spots left. So we'll see if one fills up before the other. How you guys doing? Still, over there still saved. Good. Miller, how you doing? Yeah, dude. Bro, I had one of the most amazing weekends up in New Jersey. Did a deliverance conference for one of our convergence churches, uh, along with another church um, in the New Jersey Philly area. And uh, I, I've never seen so much deliverance in one weekend from any conference that I've led. Uh, the only time I've even seen this kind of mass deliverance type stuff is with Ken Fish. And uh, I mean, it was just wild things. And I'm still waiting to hear back reports from some of the the miracles that took place with people after they were delivered, healings that took place. But um, so yeah, was there like I'm, a, I'm still a on a one inch. Was there like a one inch layer of vomit on the ground from people like throwing <laughs> up their demons? Mm. <laughs> no, no. Well, we did have some trash buckets for a couple of those people, but not everybody vomped. I will say, those are, I had, I had for those who are watching, creepiest... you don't know what I'm talking about. When you get involved in casting out a lot of demons, we don't get it. But for some reason, sometimes they throw up. I don't get yes. it. Tertullian talks about it in the third century. I mean, it happened then too. Um, anyway, it's kind of a weird phenomenon. But uh, yeah, so Miller, go ahead. Oh, I just gonna say, like this was, you know, I I've seldom seldom had demons talk to me through people, 
but I have pe seen people's faces, their facial expressions change, and they not even realize that they're doing it. The person doesn't realize they're doing it. And I had this one lady that when I was praying for her, she would just suddenly go like this. And just give me this glare, just like this hateful, vengeful glare. And uh, fortunately, we was were that your wife? Her free, but dude, yeah, <laughs> nice try, <laughs> nice try. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. That's only uh, when I'm home. That, that's that's when you got to take out the trash. Um, guys, th we got a fun episode today. We're talking about uh, word and spirit. We're talking about prophecy in the local church. We're very passionate about being Word and Spirit churches. We're part of the Convergence Church Network, for people who don't know. The Convergence Church Network is like an association of Word and Spirit churches. They're passionate about like verse-by-verse -verse expositional preaching and teaching, sound theology, but also like passionately pursuing the gifts of the Spirit. We're kind of a one-issue network, interdenominational. Go check it out, CCN's uh, website. Sam Storms is the president. Fantastic dude. We're all members. Um, tell us, as Word and Spirit guys, uh, how important is the exercise of prophecy on the Lord's Day to the charismatic experience that is your church? Um, I, I want you guys to weigh into that because there's a lot of gifts of the Spirit, um, but it does seem as if this is a defining marker of what it is to be a Word and Spirit church is the gift of prophecy. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's extremely important because when Paul says eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy— we as individualistic Westerners with our own personal Bible, with our name engraved on it, are we read that as, oh, God wants me, Michael Roundtree, to personally and individually pray that I might exercise prophecy. That's included. But the thrust of the command is he's writing to the church in Corinth. The first verse or two, it says to the saints in Corinth. And so it's to the entire church there. And as you read it, he's talking about church services. And he says, when you come together, one has a teaching, one has a hymn, one has a revelation, one has a tongue, one has interpretation. So when he's saying eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially to get to prophecy, what's he saying contextually? He's saying you, churches, eagerly pursue the gift of prophecy. How? Do what he says in chapter 14. What? Do it in church. And so I would say it's massively important. What I see is uh, you kind of get like the charismatic seeker sensitive variety which is kind of a, a strange variety where they're like yeah yeah we believe in stuff we believe in stuff come on the special thursday uh on the 14th fortnight after the third blue moon and we have a special presbytery and we'll call out 19 people in a crowd of 2047 and they'll get prophetic words ain't it that ain't it i mean that's cool cool do your little prophetic presbytery but that ain't it it's not eagerly desire Spiritually good, especially good to prophecy. Now, with that said, get, you give them a little cred, through. Michael. They're at least practicing. <laughs> it, it's better than a nothing. Little cred. It's yes. better than nothing. But I would also say you can't go from zero to 60. We would say on Remnant, what we say is that Sunday morning is for the mature expression of the gifts. Uh, we don't we don't put like a first-time guitarist up on the stage and be like, why don't you try it out, little Betsy? No, we we want experienced guitarists and if Betsy is really experienced then she, she can be up there. So, um, so we say Sunday mornings for the mature expression of the gifts, at least in terms of, I mean, we, we do have a context in our Western context, like what we put on the stage. I mean, it, it is a little different from Corinth, but, but we have to try to translate that into our modern context. And so, uh, and so we always encourage, you know, develop those prophetic teams and those prophetic gifts and then gradually work toward, stage ministry and so we kind of have a whole plan for how we do that. that's what we do with the convergence church network so i talked enough 
Miller, how would you, what would you say to Josh's question? Is it important for the Sunday morning service prophecy? I, I think, um, how do I say this? I, I one absolutely. Like, I think we're told to pursue that gift above others, right? It says of teaching, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that as such you incur a harsher judgment. So teaching is meant to be more guarded, whereas prophecy is meant to be more vastly and widely pursued. And if anything, it seems to be the evidence of this new covenant that um, that God is going to take the same spirit that he gave the prophets of old, the same spirit that he gave the judges and the kings and the uh, few few the few in the old covenant and say the, the, the new covenant is going to be an age marked by the spirit of God, which looks like by and large prophecy. And so, um, yeah, I do think that it is absolutely vital for spiritual health of a community um, and vital for evangelism. When you think of first Corinthians 14, 26, he says, uh, uh, but if all gather and one prophesies and an unbeliever or somebody uninformed of the gifts comes into the community, into the, the believers gathering, says the secrets of his heart are laid bare. He'll fall on his face and declare, surely God is among you, which tells us that, that this is actually a useful gift when it comes to evangelism as well. And so we don't want to neglect this gift. We want to pursue this gift. And I think we have to have some form or standard uh, for word and spirit churches who want to be that, uh, you know, they want to be a healthy charismatic, right? We've got to have some sort of thing that we're all pursuing, some sort of goal uh, or, or ideal in mind. Not that, that any of us have obtained it, but at least we know in the direction we're headed towards. And I think that ideal has to be inclusion of these gifts in the Sunday gathering uh, as the yeah. mature expression of these gifts. No, I, I think that's right. I think, you know, what's interesting to me is if you go to a cessationist church tomorrow, uh, they will likely have a prayer team up front during worship or during a, a specific part of the, the, the service and you can have people go up and they're sick and they're asking for prayer. And there's really no distinction between the vast majority of charismatic churches I've seen and cessationist churches that I've seen, uh, where you walk in and you don't really know half of these charismatic churches, maybe even a larger number, whether they're charismatic or not, because, you know, they practice the gifts in a back room somewhere, you know, uh, once you become a member, you can join the small group and they, they do the gifts, but that's it. You know, like this small little tucked away thing somewhere else. And I think what you do when you display things like prophecy publicly, what you're doing is you are kind of setting the culture of what your church is, right? Like the way that you preach kind of sets a culture and a lane of how your body of Christ like opens up their Bible and reads their scriptures and studies. Like you, you set a precedent. And I think by saying we are this kind of church, you are you're creating you're creating whether it be conscious or unconscious uh, lanes for people to walk in. You know this is the way that we're prophesying. They don't get up and they don't say thus saith the Lord. They don't get up and they speak in Old King James English. They don't uh, you know uh, God saith this. They're I feel this. I feel you're 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 modeling for people what prophecy looks like. And I think that by having a decent and an ordered manifestation of spiritual gifts on the Lord's day, you're displaying to your congregation how to, one, pursue these things, but also to deliver them and how to work through it. So I, I think it's very important uh, for a word and spirit church to be pursuing these things, uh, whether they have them or not. You know, like my, my church doesn't do prophecy every Sunday, uh, but we ask God to speak to us every Sunday. And sometimes we get words and sometimes we don't, but we have a small church. So uh, we're able to get away with more of that. Um, Tell me about 1 Corinthians 14, because this is something I'm interested in. Some people would say, well, do you really need to do prophecy when you gather together? You know, I've had people ask me, you know, why do you do prophecy uh, on the Lord's Day? Like, why can't you just do it in a small back gathering? Like, maybe what do you want to take a stab at 1 Corinthians 14 and why 
that's maybe an unbiblical worldview. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think kind of what I said when he says eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially get to prophecy, the whole context is in a church gathering and in a church gathering, you're supposed to pursue it. And how do you pursue it by practicing it? And so, uh, verse 26, when you come together, one has a teaching, one has a hymn, a revelation, a tongue and interpretation. I would include tongues and interpretation in there. And that's a, actually a worthy other discussion uh, that we could have because tongues with interpretation in Paul's view is equivalent to prophecy in terms of degree of edification. And the big reason that Paul pushes for prophecy, say, let, let's go with verses tongues minus the interpretation. Prophecy is superior because of just how much it edifies when you get a prophetic word. And um, and so I've seen this again and again where people like have their mail read from the stage. And uh, it, man, having the word of God preached edifies, the music edifies, but we're really lacking something if we don't have prophecy in there also. Because 1 Corinthians 14 tells us to do that very thing. So that's what I would say. Yep. I, I, I'm in agreement. I don't have anything to add to that. Yeah. I'd almost go beyond it personally and just say that yeah. the, the, the scriptures don't suggest us to do this. They demand it. Right. So like if someone's like, Hey, why are we doing this in pro prophecy on Sunday? It's like, because the Bible tells us to gather together and teach. So we gather together and teach. And the Bible says, gather together and have one give a revelation. So we, if God gives us a revelation, we're going to give it. Like we want to, we want to make room for that in our service. If the, the Bible says when you gather together, you know, take communion, then we're going to do that when we gather together. So call me a biblicist, but I, I want to do what the Bible tells me to do in my services. There are things in our services the Bible doesn't tell us to do. Did you know, evangelical pastor, that the Bible doesn't say take up an offering every Sunday when you gather together? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say when you gather together, pass the plate and tell, remind people of Malachi chapter three, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't say that, but we do it every does, Sunday. Great point. Hey, does it say though that the announcements come between the worship and the sermon to give you kind of like a little bit of a breather? Yes. Does it say anything like yeah, that? Yeah, there's nothing like that. There's nothing that says, make sure that the youth pastor does something that's both funny and engaging to draw the attention of the audience <laughs> back into uh, the announcements of what's happening. There's well, no... The Hold on. Does it tell you, does it tell you to have transitional prayers that cause people to close your eyes that operate <laughs> mm -hmm. in the closing of the curtain and a reopening nope. so that you can reset the stage? Nope. What about the like background that? music for, there's, for the end of the sermon when the mm -hmm. pastor's there, kind of winding things down keys. and somebody's yeah. back there setting the mood for yep. whatever application they're about to give? Is there's, that in there? There's no Bible verse for, for moving lights. There's no, there's no Bible verse for too fast, three, uh, one slow. Uh, there's no Bible verse for illustration, explanation, application. We do all of this stuff in our church services that is not expressly demanded and commanded in Holy Scripture. And then no the things that the are question. actually told to do, like prophesy, are things that we're like, ah, but we don't really have to. Let's just go put it in the back corner somewhere. And it's like, mm, maybe we should just value the things the Bible tells us to do and then like treat all these other things as optional, you know? Anyway, this is my, my hobby horse. Um <laughs> Toss it over to good one. So there's a guy whose name is Ski Nuts. He says, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, Why would, did you I, not? Did you say decide name, yourself? Okay? You know what? I'm going to read this comment and start reading I, it. And I go, wanted the, I'm going for the name. comment, not the name. Give me sure. a break. Okay. He says, in my humble opinion, there's a caution that it turns into a Reading church where people are expected to give a word and they force it. 
So I think that's a this is like a big concern when it comes to prophecy on a Sunday morning that I think we need to discuss. So I'll throw it out to one of you guys since Josh, you've been kind of sure. throwing questions our way and uh, and I've got to be the long-winded one. So so what do you say to that? What do you say to the fact that like, hey, if you're gonna start having prophecy on Sunday morning, people are gonna get all like uh, you know, they got to be in this revved up prophecy mood and they got to please the people by giving a prophecy and they're forcing it. And, and we know that like, that, like there's got to be a difference. Like when, when somebody's teaching the Bible, for instance, it's like, Hey, they can prepare, they can bring the word, but, but like with prophecy, you, you can't do it that way. You're like pre- preparation. I mean, what does that even mean with prophecy? And, uh, are we risking, people feeling a pressure to perform by giving a prophetic word that's not actually from God. And how do you manage that when you have Sunday morning prophecy? Hmm. I'm going to, I have an answer to this. That's Can not I? gonna, it's going to, it's going to rub people the wrong way when I say okay. what I'm about to say. Let me say this real quick. I would say we should be more concerned about having usernames like ski nuts and having a red ninja as the the cover of your bio that would that that is more concerning i think we should have more ca- in my humble opinion we should have more caution i, I thought usernames we were going to get past the name but you wouldn't let us get past his name no i just can't do it sorry ski nuts no, your name i, I think said it again stop saying it nuts oh uh, okay. so to be fair he's got a fair criticism like that concern is real but i it don't totally think is it totally is I, I don't think it's the practice of the gifts that causes that. I don't think it's zeal for the gifts that causes that. Honestly, and, and I'm sorry to, to drop Bethel in this category, but I think this happens in churches where uh, having power means you're somebody, as opposed to you're somebody and you're valued whether you ever display that or not. And I think it also comes in churches. So like, this is a value system issue. It's not a gift issue. It's a value. I mean, it really is. I think if, if you, if your goal is to love people and, and to be that kind of community that values everybody that comes into your church, whether they display a prophetic gift or gift of service or, or a gift of leadership or a, <laughs> a gift of helps, if, if your value system is we value the people in this room, no matter what their gift is then you're going to find a lot less of that because nobody's trying to stand out of a crowd. What you just said is they come and and they're trying to force it. Love doesn't look forced. Yeah. We have a, we have we have terms for forced love. And that's not the gifts of the spirit. The gifts of the spirit are, are a way to love people with power. And also like the theological groundwork and telling people what you're aiming for, I think is really, again, where Bethel is going to be very different than what we're talking about when we're talking about a word and spirit church. Um, And I want to be respectful of Bethel, but I've heard these stories firsthand from people at Bethel where guys like Chris Valentin will walk around the room and be like, hey, what's something that's super encouraged? What's something that you love about Mark? Tell us what you think is great about Mark. And they, oh, this is really encouraging. And they'd all share these little things that are encouraging. And he goes, look, guys, you just prophesied. It's like, no, that's not prophecy. That's at best a gift of exhortation, um, but might not even be a spiritual gift, right? Like just saying nice things about people isn't prophecy. Um, And and also saying the first thing that pops into your head is not prophecy. Learning what the voice of the, the Lord sounds like and then prophesying in accordance with that, I think is what we're aiming for. And people who can, uh, over time, uh, be verified that they have that kind of spiritual gift of discerning what the Lord is saying mm-hmm. and then communicating that. Th- those mm-hmm. are the people that we're trying to encourage into this role in a corporate setting to exercise the spiritual gift. 
calling someone out of a group and you know saying something encouraging about their clothing isn't prophecy. Uh, it's not. Uh, so I think having theological definitions of what this is and what we're aiming for in our ministry, we, we want people to know when you get up and prophesy, try not to look for things that are vague. Oh, God just says you're an encourager, right? Okay, maybe, but like, look, ask God for the specifics, swing for the fences, aim, ask God for something very specific when you're prophesying so that people's confidence in the room isn't like, ah, okay, he's good at cold reading people, but they're like, wow, surely God is among them. Like that's what we're aiming for in the gift of prophecy. Now that's not always what happens, but that is what we're aiming for. Right. Yeah. I mean, the scripture says to prophesy in accordance with your faith. And, and so I do think like, you know, one of the things John Wimber used to say is faith is spelled R-I-S-K. How did Abraham exhibit faith? He left Ur of the Chaldeans and he entered, you know, and he went into a land the Lord would show him. There was a risk involved in that. And and I think that as Paul is talking about prophesy in accordance with your faith, I, I think that's part of it. And, uh, and so I do think there is this, like, you're kind of putting yourself out out there in a way. And I think that can make cessationists uncomfortable. Like, wait, wait, risk? Like what in the world you're, you're going to risk like misrepresenting God. And, uh, and I would say, well, what is faith then? It doesn't. And, and so do you do that evangelism? Do you, do you misrepresent God with your evangelism because it's imperfect? I didn't present the gospel perfectly. I stuttered when I presented it. I was nervous or I, I said something I regret afterwards. So should let I me even back up a person? little bit, because I don't think that Michael, by saying, I think the Lord might be saying is misrepresenting God. When you say, uh, thus says the Lord, Satan is the brother of Jesus. That's misrepresenting the Lord, right? Like when you, when you, when you declare falsehoods in the name of the Lord, that is misrepresenting the Lord saying, I don't know what this means. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that, especially when you're discerning, that's not misrepresenting the Lord. Um, so I just, I want to be careful. Yes, yeah. you're right, Michael. You're, you're saying that, well, like, as you're that's, going through, I just don't want people taking yeah, that clip. I, I interrupted him. Sorry about that, Michael. Yeah, well, yeah. no, so there's, there's a way to communicate it that avoids misrepresenting the Lord while also allowing us to step out and take a risk. So that's why we'll coach people to say on a Sunday morning or outside of a Sunday morning, my sense is that God might be saying this. And I'll, and I typically will like give a little speech on the front side that says like, Hey, first Corinthians 14 says that whenever somebody prophesies, we're to weigh and discern what is said. And so, uh, this trained prophetic team is going to share what their sense is of what God is saying. And we want you to weigh and discern whether this truly is from God. And, uh, and so each person speaks one after another, they share the word and, uh, and they're couching it in language as such as my sense is that God is saying this. And so we're get, we're communicating in such a way that there is freedom to say that does not resonate with me or to confirm that it does. And when, when you nail it, the faith level rises in the room. It's a beautiful thing. And it's something that like, with music and sermon, which is basically the two major components of most evangelical church services, that there's nothing quite like when a prophetic word nails it and everybody sees it happening. And, and that's, I think, part of the beauty of why Paul is so big on we've got to pursue prophecy. Um, but but yeah, all, all that to say, it was coming on the heels of what you were saying, Josh, about we don't want to prophesy nothing burgers. 
We don't want to prophesy, hey, the Lord says you're wearing a blue shirt and it looks really nice. Like that's that's not <laughs> that's not what the Lord is saying. You just said that and you put the Lord's name on it. We want to actually push out and take some risk, but risk doesn't mean misrepresent God. Risk means I want to like truly hear something that uh, that isn't just like an obvious thing, isn't just like a cold reading. I, I want to step out in faith to prophesy according to my faith, but I don't misrepresent God by saying "Thus says the Lord" and getting it wrong. So, so if your if your aim is to like get people up on that stage on Sunday that are mature expressions of the gifts, in the same way that our goal should be, uh, if the Bible tells us to teach the Word of God, our aim should be get, to get teachers in the pulpit. Okay, how do we how do we get guys up there prophesying what are the incremental steps that move people from point a to point b a being we're not doing anything uh with prophecy and b being we are weekly exercising the gift of prophecy when god speaks right like i'm always creating a caveat because you could have a room full of 15 people who prophesy but i think it's god's prerogative to speak or not to speak so it's not always going to happen so um i'd be curious what do you guys think I missed that. No, I was no, in the no. chat section. Ask me again. Sorry. Yeah, I was just saying. What, what's the what gets you what gets you from point A to point B, Miller? When it comes to prophecy, people not doing oh, okay. prophecy in your church to they're on stage. What are helpful ways to get them from one place to the other? Okay, uh, this is a long, long answer. You asked a big question, and it involves a pretty, pretty long process in my church, at least. So I planted a church, right? So we had no expression other at the time than me and one other person that helped me plant that I would say was, was, Oh, this sounds so arrogant saying this, but, but honestly, as an example, we were the ones I would say were the most qualified to do that on a public stage. Right. And I was doing it already and had been for years. So, um, but if I was to say, let's take a brand new, uh, church where there's the, the nobody who's been doing this stuff on a public stage, what's the process they start from point A to point Z really? Uh, I would start in home groups, um, where you teach on the gifts, uh, simply talking about here's the way God speaks, uh, here's why we can make mistakes, and here's how we clean up those mistakes uh, and not be a false prophet. And then um, and teach on various etiquette on how we deliver words, especially as we're immature in our approach to these things. Here's how we judge words. So then once those things have been taught, we then practice as a group, giving people opportunity to hear from God for one another. And you do this in a way where it's safe to make mistakes. You're not going to get reprimanded for getting it wrong. In fact, that's expected. And so you have to create that kind of safety, uh, that kind of safe space for uh, growth. And then uh, in that, you'll often find people who, who are prophetic. And so you can start identifying people who have that gift and see a, a track record of this kind of thing. And then after that, I would bring them into the Sunday service where I would have uh, that person to be on the ministry team after the church service so that anybody in the church that's looking for direction, they need a word, word of wisdom, anybody who's in need of encouragement or comfort, they can come up and receive prayer where this person and a team around them can begin to practice and hear God for that person. And so the more opportunities I can give them, the more practice I can give them, the more that they will grow. And then uh, after they're displaying their ability to lead those others and they show an ability to have good etiquette and good people skills, uh, then that would be the next thing to put them on uh, on a stage. Now, this is assumed that they're also members in my church, that they uh, show a, a willingness to be corrected and to be offered critique uh, and then and a track record of accuracy. 
um, then that's when I would be like, all right, let's give this a shot. Come on the stage and let's see if you get some words for anybody this next Sunday. And Miller, I'll be up there and I'll be helping you guide that that scenario. So let's say there's a pastor and he's like listening right now. And not that everyone who's listening to this is pastors, but people who are just thinking through this in their own church and want to kind of submit good ideas to their leadership. Let's say, okay, you preach on Sunday mornings and we have home groups. Are you saying that those home groups last forever on the spiritual gifts? Like, doesn't that create like an an up like an upside down kind of lopsided church where it's like, well, you're doing prophecy. You know, I do it once a month at our church. We do a training once a month, but then we also do a home group and we have a 13 week discipleship course that walks people through this if they want to go through it. It's optional for members. So like it's the WSSM that we offer that we that we sell here on Remnant, right? So those are just on ramps that we've created for people to get discipled in these. But do you have a gifts of the spirit home group that's just operating 24 seven forever and ever? Do you think that there's any worry about unbalance there when you're just doing spiritual gifts in home group? Yeah. Uh, well, home groups for us are about having a meal together. They're about praying for one another and supporting one another. We're not necessarily going through a curriculum. So the gifts are always being practiced. Um, so fellowship that's, that's based. largely what, it's fellowship based primarily, although we will have seasons of teaching. We'll have seasons of like that. We're, we're going to take our home groups through the remnant radio e-course uh, as, as soon as it launches. So that's going to be happening very quickly in our church. Um, but that's not going to happen every single home group for the rest of home group existence. That's going to happen for maybe a new home group that gets formed. They'll go through that. Um, but by and large, home groups are a place for us to fellowship with one another, support one another, pray for one another, meet practical needs, uh, to worship together, and then to practice the gifts. So gifts are always being practiced. Great. Yeah, and I, I would say that like, you could have a season in your community groups. Like if you're just getting started, like, hey, we're going to go through a season. We're going to walk through Sam Storm's book, Practicing the Power. We're going to do a different chapter each week. And we're going to talk about it. And then we're going to practice the gifts. That would be a good way to get started in it. But Josh, to your point, you don't want to have a, a home group or community group where all you do is gifts. I think that's bad. So I, I think do like in the long run, do whatever you do. You talk about the sermon or you'd have some curriculum that a discipleship pastor comes up with or whatever it is that you talk about in your groups, just keep talking about that thing. But instead of like just this standard, we have the teaching and discussion and we have the fellowship time and then we have prayer time, like have spiritual gifts time and it's just baked in especially after you've had like a front side of like kind of learning and growing and trying to practice together, uh, then it can become like a standard part where sometimes when I'm leading a, a community group, I'll say, okay, well, let's all just listen to the Lord and, and see if he has anything for each other. Or uh, maybe we'll have a new person come and be like, hey, let's all see if we can hear from the Lord for that person. And I can't usually start out that way. Like if I, like if it's my first day to lead the group, cause no one knows how to prophesy yet, usually, but a few months into it, the people have kind of learned the ropes and I can do that thing on a more regular basis. So, uh, so ultimately it just becomes a small part of the group and a really meaningful part of the group, but you don't want it to dominate the group. That's good. I, I, what are ways you've seen prophetic ministries launch that totally flop and, actually cause disorder and pain uh, in ways that you've seen prophetic ministries launch that are like super healthy. Like, have you seen different models of these things being launched? We obviously want to fall in line with First Corinthians 14. We want to try to the best of our ability 
uh, make sure things are done decently and order. But like, what are ways that you've seen prophetic ministry get launched in a local church that have been destructive and unhelpful? Hmm. Oh, I mean, big, big mistake is you start your brand new prophetic ministry by having people prophesy on Sunday morning. You want to yeah, do some damage, mic. take immature people. Yeah. Give people an open mic. Uh, have have Sunday be the place where you're demonstrating these things slash practicing these things. Um, you know, again, we we have limited Sundays for the mature expression of the gifts. The only thing I would say where we make an exception to mature practice of it is we do have the children's ministry and uh, and uh, during the service they pray once a month for our um, for the believers gathering in the the main service. And they get words of knowledge for us. And we we make a space for the kids to display what I would call is an immature expression. Uh, but uh, we've actually seen healings because of that. Our kids have prayed, got words of knowledge for our church, and then we've seen people get healed after the fact. And so that's the only space where we have that kind of thing. But if you really want to mess things up and, uh, you know, also tell them, say, thus saith the Lord or God said, uh, you know, don't approach it with any kind of humility. Fail to educate your church before you do it. <laughs> don't, if you fail to give them good teaching on it, then you're for, you're actually creating a bit of neglect, and it's cause it's going to cause people to despise prophecy. Uh, yeah. it, it, be okay with vague words being given from the stage on a Sunday, uh, like God just wants you to know He loves you, or uh, you know, I feel like you have a problem in your life. I feel like you're going through a trial in your life. Um, yeah, that 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 will do wonders. Yeah. And I would say that like, um, I mean, when I'm coaching a church, I coach them to go at a certain pace and it, I mean, I'm not saying this in a proud way. I'm just saying I've seen it enough. It works. It just does. And, um, but what I have seen before that doesn't work is, um, when a church incorrectly, like a church pastor incorrectly evaluates where his church is at. Like one time I was invited to come out to a church and and train in the gifts of the spirit. And he's like, man, we're ready to dive in, like take us to the deep end. I want the nitty oh, no. gritty. Give me the real stuff. I'm like, really? Wow. I, I didn't expect you to say that because prior to that, like no one ever prophesied in that church. It was a very uh, like not common experience. And so I went with what the pastor said and I dove right in. I talked about like, you know, a spiritual sense of smell and like, I mean, like some of these slightly more advanced prophetic phenomena and which, which I have experienced. I mean, I've had it where like I, I can smell sulfur when there's a demon present. Not every time. Michael, that's just you eating hard boiled eggs. That's, that's true. <laughs> I had a little bit left on my like mustache and I just, I thought it was a demon. <laughs> so, um, you have a mustache, anyway, but I like I did what the pastor said, but the pastor did not have a correct evaluation of where his church was at. And consequently, I, I was, remember I like speaking, I was like, the church kind of looks like deer in the headlights, like this is way too advanced. And so I should have, and I learned from this, asked more questions because pastors tend to, we, we think highly of our churches, <laughs> you know, my church is the best yeah. and we're ready. And you know, with some pointed questions, I could find out where precisely you are at so that I can help you develop a, a coaching regimen that, that helps you get where you need to be. But, but if you start out in the wrong place, then it's going to be like a fire hose for your people. And there are ways to prevent that. So I have seen that before. 
Yeah, we've got a small prophetic team in our church. We we have a document. I call it the propheticate document. King Fellowship propheticate. That's what it's labeled in my Google Doc. Uh, but it talks about uh, we're not we're not counseling. We're giving prophetic words. So we're not here to like lecture people from the stage or things that they're supposed to do with their life. Handling sin. Um, we're not going to handle sin from the stage. You can privately go to someone and hey, are you wrestling with this? That's perfectly acceptable. But we're not. Thus saith the Lord, exposing people from the stage. The language of prophecy. Again, we've said package it with feeling language. I sense the Lord saying this, not thus saith the Lord. Uh, timing uh, in delivering words uh, when prophesying from the stage. Aim to keep your words like two minutes. We don't want to have like ten minute. You're not the apostle. You know, you're not the prophet Jeremiah, right? Like keep it short and sweet. You don't want to like go forever and ever. Um, testing prophetic words. You want to ask them in the moment. Does that make sense to you? Does that bear witness? Is that like you want to ask them some kind of confirmation language to see if they're testing through that? Uh, the scope of ministry. Like we want to make sure um, that when you're prophesying, that you're not prophesying uh, certainly like directions for the church. You're giving individuals prophetic words. Like the elders are to determine the direction of the church. You can submit stuff to the elders and we'll pray through that and we'll consider if this is the will of the Lord. But like there are some just general practical things that we would tell people to do that would help them deliver prophecy well. Uh, in the same way, you're like, wait, what gives you the right to do all this? Well, you know, when we're when we're teaching in the pulpit, if someone got up and said, you know, um, what we don't want to do is we don't want to, you know, we, they're preaching a sermon and they're talking about how lying is bad and we shouldn't lie. Right, Devin? And you start calling someone out and pointing at them like we wouldn't allow that to take place, even in the preaching of God's word. Church discipline happens, Matthew 18, directly, privately. Uh, and then you bring someone else, you know, and then and that, that kind of escalates. If the Lord reveals a sinful thing, I'm not saying that he can't do that. I'm saying that there needs to be an appropriate way that we handle those things in accordance with scripture. So these rules are kind of kind of filtered through scripture. We've seen things kind of blow up in negative ways, open mics, those kinds of things. These create, I think, healthy boundaries for people to run passionately in. Um, anything else that you guys would add to kind of like help keep people put the bumpers up, you know, while they're, while they're bowling, uh, things that keep them from going into the ditch. Yeah. I would say, uh, if your prophetic word is longer than uh, a minute, um, you, you've probably stepped into counseling. And so no prophetic counseling. Um, mm. it's not helpful to people. Um, you know, we want to, we want to know things that we cannot know, not things that we can discern by natural means. And so if the word you're giving is to someone, you know, uh, I'd be very cautious with that. Oftentimes at our church, it's usually visitors and guests that will get prophetic words. On occasion, I may give a word to somebody. But if I know them, I always I always give the word in such a way to let the audience know that I know this person and I know these things about them. But what I don't know is the thing I'm about to say. Also, yeah. when we give prophetic words, use language that that is that is honest about how you got the word. So if you heard the audible voice of God, I heard the audible voice of God, but get ready to take responsibility for it. If the word you got was a vision, then say, hey, I feel like here's what this means because the way I got this word was a vision. Um, if I fell into a trance, I'm going to say it that way. If I had a dream uh, that, that led me to give this prophetic word, I'm going to let people know this is how I got this word was a dream. So I always want to give the words based upon uh, the language I'm going to package my word in is going to be based upon how I got that prophetic word. But I'll tell you this, the vast majority of words that I've gotten over the years have come uh, through little pictures that have come in my mind, little visions that have come in my mind that were easily dismissible or random thoughts that start popping into my head out of nowhere. Uh, 
Um, when I was with you guys in Wisconsin, I got that word for that lady saying, hey, I feel like you had a sister who died from a short-term memory issue. Uh, you've been afraid that you're also going to get this short-term memory issue and God wants to set you free from that fear. And also, I feel like you have stenosis of the spine. Those are very specific words. She right? lost These are it things- too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was all true. She, she, yeah, she lost it. She could, she was freaking out. Like, there's no way I could know those things. And, and that's the fact. That's the kind of stuff I want to give if I'm going to demonstrate prophetic ministry on a public platform. It needs to be, it needs to be so specific that you can confirm and deny right then and there. Um, but when I got those words, I didn't say God said, I didn't say thus said the Lord. I said, Hey, I feel like these things are true in your life. Um, because how I got the words were random thoughts that started coming into my head. You yeah. know, so that's how we give those words. We brought a guy into our church who talked about low hype words and just making sure that when you give a word, you're not you're not raising your voice, you're not yelling, you're not giving King James English. You're not if it's God, God will get credit for it. You don't have to like add pizzazz to it to make yourself or God look better. I, I thought that was helpful instruction and, and something that, you know, the low hype concept is something that we try to integrate in every area of our churches. Um, you want clarity over creativity. So let's, let's keep the, keep the creativity to a dull roar. Uh, a couple other things I would say, uh, whether it's the senior pastor who's overseeing that time or some other leader in the church, uh, prophetic team leader, perhaps, or uh, whatever it is, uh, I've always been the one who pastors that moment. It's kind of just what I do, but it's important to do that because people are sharing words, but people in our culture have no idea how to process this. You've got to think about your first time guests. So each Sunday, like I would say the pastor ideally gives a 90 second snippet on here is what is about to happen. And here's why we're about to do it. Like the Bible commands that we practice uh, prophecy and it shows talks about doing it on the Lord's day gatherings. And so that's what we're doing. We want to be a church that does what the Bible says. You might not be used to it. We have folks on our prophetic team that have been listening to the Lord throughout this service, and they're going to share some words. They might have some words for individuals. They might have some words uh, for the whole church. But uh, but your role in receiving a word, if you do, is that you just weigh and discern. And so there, there's my like 30 second version of it. But I, you, you've got to pastor it. And then even during, you have to pastor the moment. There will be times when somebody's sharing a prophetic word and uh, they might say something that you're like, eh, you know, you, you, you know that it might not land that well. Like maybe they're like, Oh, the Lord showed me depression over you. And maybe they really saw that, but man, that's not the kind of word I call out in front of a crowd of people. That's embarrassing. And or so I'd phrase it differently. God yeah. wants to give you a great deal of hope today. Here's how he's going to give this to you. Yeah. Like I would, I would maybe say like if that, if somebody dropped that and I wasn't expecting, I would say now here, and I just want to kind of offer this here that and this is coming to me right now. Okay. Uh, I just, you know, when we read through the Psalms, I mean, Psalms talking about my tears are my food night and day. When this person mentions, it doesn't necessarily mean clinical depression. It can just mean that there's a period of sadness that you're walking through. It happens to every single one of us from time to time. And it could be that the devil's kind of like coming in and trying to like really steal your hope and it's to kind of just flesh out that word a little bit. And, um, and yes, Michael, like you said about the giving of hope, I mean, I don't want to put words in God's mouth by any stretch. And so I'm always, you know, very aware of, of that. I don't want to do that, but 
but I, I do want to help make sure that it's received, in, uh, that it's communicated in a way that can be received. So you got to pastor it on the front side. You got to pastor it during. And, uh, you know, for me, we will tend to have well-trained enough prophetic teams. I don't usually have to do a whole lot of, of pastoring the moment during, but that, that is, uh, that is one of the things real quick. I'm going to say a couple of other things. Uh, Paul says first Corinthians 14 to, to have two or three prophets speak. So, uh, we never have more than three, uh, who speak. Uh, I would also say this is just a modern phenomenon. A lot of people like to write in their phones, like what the Lord was saying to them, maybe during the worship. Uh, I have not like forbidden that in my church because the words that they're sharing are not the kinds of things that you could look up on the internet. But if in your church, like we've seen this on some internet prophets where they they're looking through an iPad and, and they're prophesying, Hey, your grandpa's name is Jim, Bob, Jake, Joe, and your aunt's name is this. And you got a dog that's named that like the kind of things that are internet things. Um, if those kinds of prophecies are happening, I wouldn't let somebody use a device in that situation. And the last thing that I would say is, um, is you don't automatically have to share the whole revelation. You know, sometimes somebody will get up there and be like, I saw a vision of a clown riding around on a tricycle and he ran over a dead monkey. And like, you know, I'm making this up, (laughs) but like it starts going on this, like it it starts to sound kind of ridiculous. Now here's the deal. There are some ridiculous visions in the Bible. I mean, you know, you know, Peter in Acts 10 and 11, you know, his famous pigs in a blanket vision. So there are some strange visions. So it's not impossible that God would give a crazy vision, but you have to know your context. Like sometimes that's a lot for a Sunday morning. So I do, I always ask the Lord, if I'm about to prophesy, do you want me to share the revelation and the interpretation application? Or you want me to only share the last two interpretation and application? And so I just try to be led by the Lord on that. So there's my right. spiel. I'll run away with it. No, I, I think I think that's really good. I, I want to know what you guys do because when you're a charismatic church, especially let's say you're in a rural town, okay, and you're a charismatic church, you may be the only charismatic church for quite a while. And you might find that there are other people in the city who are charismatic, but they are maybe a, of a different breed. Like maybe they're of the like travel to heaven, get swirly and crazy, talk to angels, dead Christian swirly, like physics of heaven, courts of heaven. They're like, they're, they are, they are the space cadets of charismaticism. They are the, the charismaniacs. They are two hop skips and a jump away from being full blown Gnostics. Like how, how do you guys, cause I, here's, here's what I think. I think a lot of these people are really passionate and they really love the Lord. And they like really want to see manifestations of the spirit. Like I really believe that 99.9% of people who are even in the crazy camp are just really well-intentioned, passionate people who haven't had a pastor come alongside them and say, well, let me show you how to pursue this. Like, how, how do you pastor that? How do you pastor the person who, you know, their, their understanding of charismaticism is destiny image, right? Like, how do you, how do you do that? Gosh, man, the tough thing about some of those guys is they... Here's the thing about anything that's Gnostic in nature. It always comes with a level of pride. They've got secret knowledge. They've got it figured out. Um, I find those people very difficult to pastor. And uh, when I say pastor, I mean specifically within the gifts. Um, and, and I think, honestly, I think that Gnostic stuff, the travel to heaven, courts of heaven, all of that stuff, it, it, these people who practice these things, I swear they usually are picking up an evil spirit, of Gnostic, a Gnostic spirit. And you can 
point them out in a crowd very quickly because they've got um, the way they talk about their prophetic gift is so prideful. Um, and, and they talk about it as though they've got sort of secret knowledge. And Man, well, I don't share yeah. this with everybody, you know. You know, sorry, I'm I'm being very negative on this, but that's been my experience. These people are hard to 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 raise up in my church. I usually won't let them have a platform. Yeah, I I mean, here's one thing that I've learned about just leadership is leadership isn't picking people who have arrived and then giving them a a platform or a space. Leadership is developing people, and yes. so when I find that person who you know, like I'm thinking of um, I, just several, a number of people over the years who are like you described, Josh, who like, like, like I'm thinking of one guy who every time I saw him, he'd just be standing. He would be a, he was a greeter and he'd be speaking in tongues in between people he was greeting. So like his his gums are flapping. Blah, 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 and then he's like, ah, Mr. Jones, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, you know, this this guy was in it. Uh, very Pentecostal background. But man, he is such a faithful church member. And, you know, he texted me kind of recently, probably 10 years after he last went to the church that I was in. It was five, seven years. And he just said, Michael, I pray for you every day. And so, like, I don't want to get too caught up in, like, a baggage thing. Like, if it's a true heresy, like Gnosticism, that'll be strongly corrected. If their Christian expression is different than mine, I'll just have honest conversations with them about it. And if they're proud, they'll just go away. If they're humble, they'll just kind of, you know, operate in the way that the, the church operates. And, uh, and so I just, I do want to be careful of that because I like, I always want to build a church where a, a crazy charismatic or a like Bible church person trying to explore the gifts can both come it's good. And, find, and find a place where they can they can grow in the Lord and experience him powerfully. And so um, I, I'm always careful of um, sort of blackballing people with like, well, you haven't arrived, you're not here. So because uh, I found a lot of those people with a deeply charismatic background and a strange expression with a little bit of coaching because they've never been told they're just living out a culture they grew up in with a little bit of coaching. I found that some of these can be some of the most spiritual and prophetic people I know. So yeah, I, I, and I do think, want to be careful on that. I think you guys are both saying the same thing too, because you, Michael is talking about the individual who, or Miller's talking about the individual who you have brought some kind of correction, direction, leadership to, and they've kind of reacted against it. And it's like, that person is unmanageable. And, and Roundtree is talking about the person before you even get there. So just because they read a book from Destiny Image doesn't mean that they're like this unruly, crazy person. It just means that they're passionate and they're pursuing. Like I found out that every single woman in my church had a copy of Courts of Heaven when I brought it up one time accidentally in a sermon and they were all like, we all have this. And I was like, <laughs> we're burning that. Like that is not good. Let's not do that. So do they and, need and deliverance, they were, they were Josh. All, what a, they were all what a beautiful repentant. example of the power of preaching though. That's it, awesome. Totally. I mean, it was well. I was. I just mentioned it kind of in passing, just like oh, you know. And I didn't even have it in my notes. I was like oh, like Gnosticism, and then I kind of explained what modern Gnosticism is, and I brought up courts of heaven. And uh, afterward, I opened the floor for questions because we had a real small church at the time. And then one lady kind of raised her hand and was like, um, "If I had that book, should I get rid of it?" And I was like, "Absolutely, it's horrible." And she goes, "Yeah, I do." And then like three other women was like, "We should probably do a book burning." And then like turns out everyone had a copy of this, so. Uh, it was just one of those things where you addressed it 
And then like these really well-intentioned, godly men and women were like, oh, we don't need to have this in our ha- in our life. Like it's not good. You've shown us why it's not good. We don't, we're not going to follow it anymore. So, um, and it wasn't, it wasn't any kind of rebellious anything. It was just, we learn and we grow and we're all in different places, man. There are things that I, I believe 10 years ago that I'm ashamed that I ever taught, preached, believed like, um, and I, I would say that that is probably a norm of normal Christian journey. Uh, there was a, a, I believe, I believe this is Richard Crisco, uh, a guy, disciple, the guy who discipled, the guy who discipled me kind of thing. And Richard would say, I will hand a person a book. And if they're like, Hey, I want you to disciple me. I'll go, cool. I want you to read this book and tell me when you're done with it. And he goes, when people don't do the thing that I put in front of them, it, it helps me identify whether they're ready to be discipled or not. And I think that when you have people come to your church that are culturally in a different space than you, you can always give them a task and see if they're willing to do it. Like, oh, well, I'm already an expert in spiritual gifts. I don't, I don't need your input. I don't need your book. I don't need your training. I don't need your thing. Like, if you're like, hey, what I want you to do is I want you to go through this this discipleship course with me. It'll be a couple of weeks. We have a home group. It's an eight week home group. I want you to go to that. Hey, I want you to read this book by Sam Storms and just see what the response is. You can de- you can determine real quick if this is a person who's passionate who wants to learn or if this is a person who's prideful and think they've got it all figured out. And by just putting a small hurdle in front of them, you can actually determine like where this person's heart is at. And and I felt that that was super helpful nugget. Uh, and so I would encourage I would encourage people to you know, practice in their own local community when they're looking to disciple people. Guys, we're kind of circling the drain. We're kind of wrapping up the show. I want to remind people who are watching online, again, subscribe, like the video, share it around. If you got a local church pastor, this, I think video, this video definitely applied to everyone in the body of Christ. We got a lot of good nuggets on coaching and practicing prophecy, all that stuff. But then also maybe send this around to your local church pastors who would be interested in uh, this kind of thing. And if you're a pastor watching this, Convergence Church Network, great place to check out CCN, uh, subscribe to the, ch- to the channel, like the video, and uh, really, really encourage you, check out the WSSM Word and Spirit School of Ministry. Only have 25 spots left, only have four more days to register. Uh, it is going to be the biggest school that we've had yet. And man, I'm uh, super excited. We have people all over the world taking so, this course. Josh, they access it by signing up for the newsletter. Is that correct? Uh, they can go to the, the website, but if they go to the newsletter, they'll get a no- notification. But if you go to the website, therunitradio.com, it's the best way to get information about the course. We have over 20 pastors. We have people in Africa. We have people in Europe. We've got people in third world countries. I got people in uh, in Brazil. I got people in Australia. I mean, we've got people from all over the world jumping onto this course, practicing spiritual gifts. It is, it's fantastic to be a part of. I'll be honest. Like this is, it's neat to do a YouTube channel. It's neat to uh, see global impact, but it's so cool to see people personally discipled on like the four corners oh. of the earth. That is such a neat thing. Dude, one of the cool things was this weekend, a number of people, one who's going to be taking the course and another one, uh, Matthew Trago, who has already taken the course with us, yeah. uh, showed up at the conference and I needed more people to pray. And I was like, Matthew, get over here. I need your help. And it's fun because I know him now from doing the course and him coming to a conference. And uh, so it's just nice to know that we're actually training people. And a lot of these people show up at conferences that we're doing around the country, around the globe, and they end up being part of our ministry teams because we actually need the help. Yeah, that's great. Cool. I love it. Okay, guys, uh, Roundtree, you have any closing thoughts? Miller, you have any closing thoughts? I know I kind of did all of our normal plugs. Nah, I'm good. Uh, not much. Just love you guys. Thank you so much for uh, watching this channel, and it's a privilege to serve you each week. Amen. Guys, I have so many intrusive thoughts. 
I was like, do you have any closing thoughts? I was going to put it over to, to Roundtree. And he's going to, not much. And then I was going to hit the fade out, like the end broadcast, right as he was talking. <laughs> like, my intrusive thought was so funny. Guys, we'll, we'll, we'll see you next time. Blessings. We'll see you next Monday. Uh, Report at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. I want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classroom. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.